Hello, my rebels. You know, I I keep using the phrase extinction level event when I think, why is Justin Trudeau so desperate to let SNC-Lavalin and off the hook from their criminal prosecution? I mean, really, what does he care? I'm sure he doesn't have any stock. He might know some of them because they're fellow Quebecers, but so what? It's a big place. Why is he allowing his entire prime ministership, his entire administration, his entire government to be wrecked? He's lost cabinet ministers, his senior advisor, the head of the Privy Council. He's down 13 points in the polls. It's dogging him in the media. His reputation for sunny ways is destroyed. Why is he still even today contemplating letting off the hook? Well, I go into a speculative scenario, not a conspiracy theory, but trying to think what could be so terrifying about a trial And I supplement that with two news stories today. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Before I let you go, I would be grateful if you would consider becoming a premium subscriber. Uh, The podcast is always free. You don't need it for that. But it gives us eight bucks a month to help pay the bills. And you do get access to the TV side of things. So for example, today I'm going to show you some various clips. I'm going to show you various images. You won't see that on the podcast. You get that with the premium subscription. You also get Sheila Gunn Reed and David Menzies' show and you get the knowledge that you're helping to keep us afloat. You can get that at therebel.media slash shows. So here's my SNC-Lavalin conversation. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, the SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal goes deeper. Two startling new stories about Trudeau's crookedness. It's April 30th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government, but why publish it, is because it's my bloody right to do so. I've said it before, there must be something truly, truly awful at the bottom of the Liberal Party of Canada's dealings with SNC-Lavalin, the corrupt Quebec-based engineering company, there must be something that would be an extinction-level scandal, like a meteor hitting the dinosaurs, for Trudeau and Gerald Butts and Katie Telford to decide not only to fire Jody Wilson-Raybould, their star attorney general, but then to keep doubling down on that losing hand to obfuscate, to hide, to cover up, to appoint this guy, another Montreal crony, David Lametti. As the new attorney general, I think I showed you this before. He's actually someone who has been directly lobbied by SNC-Lavalin, but he took the job, no problem. Yeah, he's someone who says he will still, despite all this, consider forcing the Crown prosecutors to drop the case against SNC-Lavalin. They're tripling down, they're quadrupling down now. How much carnage has this caused for the party? Wilson-Raybould being fired from cabinet. She was strong and then quit and fired from attorney general and then quitting the cabinet altogether and then trudeau's right hand man gerald butts resigning that really would be like losing your right hand and then another star cabinet minister jane philpott quitting in solidarity with jody wilson raybould and then the clerk of the privy council the top civil servant of canada resigning in disgrace over the matter the government has truly been decapitated because butts was the de facto prime minister not trudeau Solid cabinet minister, gone. Head of the civil service, gone. And still Trudeau will not bend on this. He's more than a dozen points behind in the polls now. If the election were held today, his party would be cut in half. 
Even the American TV cartoon, The Simpsons, is making fun of them, specifically referencing SNC-Lavalin. What could possibly be so, so bad that even today, today, when he was asked about SNC-Lavalin on The Simpsons, Trudeau says, no, he's still thinking of going through with forcing the prosecutor to drop all criminal charges. This is what he said today. That uh, we're here to announce today is our commitment to creating and protecting great jobs across this country. Indeed, that is something that Canadians will always expect of their government, and that's certainly what we've been able to do, uh, indeed highlighting the 900,000 jobs that Canadians created over the past three years. So a key part of my job uh, is always going to be to look out for jobs and protect Canadian workers right across the country. And that is what we are always going to do, and I will not apologize for that. We will do so in a way that respects the rules and the rule of law, and that is something that we have also done. Well, so he's, he's octupling down now. Now, remember, remember my point about this extinction level. What do I mean by that? If SNC-Lavalin were to be prosecuted in criminal court, in the trial, everything would, would be aired out. All the facts would come out. The police investigation, if there were any wiretaps, documents, emails, bank records, all of it would come out. Remember, this was a trial about bribery and corruption in Libya. But of course, SNC-Lavalin was also corrupt throughout Quebec, too, on the hospital, on the bridge. So not only is there a risk that there's something in police files that would name a liberal, maybe even a senior liberal, maybe even a friend of Trudeau, but who knows? Maybe there's something that SNC-Lavalin still has in their pocket, a card they have not played yet. I mean, look, these are the people who paid tens of millions of dollars in bribes to Muammar Gaddafi and his sons. SNC-Lavalin bought prostitutes and drugs for Gaddafi's son. SNC-Lavalin are, are criminals, obviously. They've, they've admitted to that. They just want out of the trial. Well, if we know they're criminals and we know they pay bribes, why do you think they would be above a little bit of blackmail? Hey, Justin Trudeau, nice little government you got going there. Nice reputation you got there. Shame if anything would happen to it. You know, could ruin your reputation or more. I mean, what if SNC-Lavalin, just, I'm just making a hypothetical scenario here, I don't, I don't know the facts. What if they donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to, I don't know, some Trudeau slush fund, some trust fund, some entity that Trudeau benefited from, not a check made out to Justin Trudeau, these are sophisticated criminals. They'd set up some fund. And they would have Trudeau two ways, wouldn't they? They'd have the positive bribe. I mean, they gave... $48 million to the Gaddafis, that is a lot of money. If that's the league they're operating in, why wouldn't they give $10 million to Trudeau? Not just a hundred grand, a million, $10 million. Why not $48 million? They do more business in Canada than in Libya. It's how they work in Europe. It's how half of Europe's politicians are on the payroll of someone. France, Germany, Italy, politicians there are either outright take cash personally or take cash for their campaigns. It's crooked. That's the world of SNC-Lavalin. They don't deny it. That's the whole point here. Do you think that Justin Trudeau is above taking secret money? Well, we know he's not. He took an illegal vacation valued at $200,000 
on Billionaire's Island in the Bahamas and tried to keep it a secret. So you've got the positive bribe, the carrot. Here's 10 million for you. Here's 48 million for you, for you and your gold digging wife. But then you've got the negative bribe, the extortion, if you will. Okay, you took the 48 mil, enjoy. That's the carrot, but the stick now, well, you're compromised now, aren't you? You're part of the, you're part of the family now. You're part of the crime family now. You can never leave now. And if we go down, you go down too with us, Trudeau. I'm just engaging in pure speculation here because I simply can't imagine what is so terrifying about a trial prosecuting SNC-Lavalin for corruption. What is so terrifying that would cause Trudeau to wreck his cabinet, to wreck his prime minister's office, to wreck his whole term, to wreck his poll. What is so terrifying that even today he's octupling down? Unless there was something far, far, far worse than what's come out so far. Something implicating his inner circle, something implicating maybe even he himself. Can you think of a more plausible explanation? And no, don't tell me he's doing it for the 9,000 jobs. First of all, those SNC-Lavalin engineering jobs are not at risk. The company is huge. I checked its market capitalization today is nearly $6 billion. It can pay a fine. The company has said it is not leaving Quebec no matter what. In fact, they just signed a new long-term lease in beautiful renovated offices. They ain't going nowhere. Trudeau doesn't care about jobs. He doesn't care about 200,000 oil jobs. He's not doing this for, for a few engineering jobs. He's doing this because I think he's really, really scared about something. Maybe it has to do with, oh, I don't know, this headline in today's CBC of all places. Check this out. I didn't see this till today. Names of SNC employees, executives, behind thousands of dollars in illegal Liberal Party donations revealed. Oh, oh just that. Here, let me read a little bit. Former Attorney General of Quebec denies involvement in scheme that broke Canadian election law. Oh, oh, so they were mucking around here. I'm shocked. Here, let me read a bit. A confidential document sent to the Liberal Party of Canada in 2016 and obtained by CBC reveals how top officials at the embattled engineering firm SNC-Lavalin were named in a scheme to illegally influence Canadian elections. No, I will not believe it. SNC-Lavalin was trying to illegally influence Canadian elections and they were targeting the historical party of corruption, the Quebec Liberals. Well, knock me over with a feather. Yeah, let me read some more. The list of names compiled in 2016 by federal investigators probing political party donations and leaked to CBC's The Fifth Estate and Radio Canada's Enquete raises new questions about an agreement by the, by the Commissioner of Canada Elections not to prosecute the company. Really? So they've gotten out of prosecutions before. They, they do this a lot, do they? They've been breaking the law again and again, and they keep getting let off the hook, eh? By, by politicians. And that whole thing was kept secret until today. Is that how we do it in Canada? You bet it is under the Liberals. But it's all in the family. Look, there's no need to upset outsiders, the little people, taxpayers. They just wouldn't understand. Let me read some more. The federal liberals were sent the list in a, mar a letter marked confidential from the Commissioner of Canada Elections, the investigative branch of Elections Canada, on August 5th, 2016. But for nearly three years, neither Elections Canada nor the Liberal Party shared that information publicly. 
Now, I can understand why the Liberal Party would keep it a secret that they took illegal donations from a corrupt company. I understand that. That's obvious. They're self-interest. They don't want the world to know. But why did supposedly neutral nonpartisan elections Canada keep it a secret? Why, why did they run errands for the Liberals? Who approved their secret deal to let SNC-Lavalin go? And who said it could be secret? Now, most of the donations in question happened before Trudeau was a member of Parliament, but not all of them. So he was an MP when the Quebec Liberals were taking illegal money from SNC-Lavalin. Did he personally benefit from this money? How can you even trust his answer? He's been convicted, what, four or five times of breaking the Conflict of Interest Act, hiding illegal gifts worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I won't go through all the details in today's story, but included donations from SNC-Lavalin through fake donors, straw donors, as they're called, to hide the source of the donation from the public, from authorities, from police. Now, obviously, SNC-Lavalin wanted the recipient politicians to know who was renting them. They just didn't want the police to know. So we just learned about this today. Do you think there are other secret deals that SNC-Lavalin has struck? They struck a secret deal to make this election problem go away without a prosecution. Who gets to break the law, get caught, and then make the problem go away in complete secret? As in, no one even know it ever happened. I mean, I've heard of pleading guilty and getting a plea bargain, but that's done in open court. It ain't a secret. That's the kind of deal Trudeau just loves, though, doesn't he? I wonder if Trudeau took any money. What's, what's your guess? One more story in the Globe and Mail. It seems related to me. PMO's background checks on potential judges reveal more than a decade of partisan past. So Trudeau said he's going to be open and merit-based in his judicial appointments, who he puts on courts as judges. He immediately proved that false, of course, by saying he was going to have gender quotas and race quotas for his appointments. But still, for judges, he pretended it was merit-based. He even invited the general public to apply for all sorts of positions, implying it wasn't just a list of his old pals from McGill. Yeah, about that, let me read some more. The PMO's background checks of prospective judges cover more than a decade of their partisan past, revealing their history with the Liberal Party of Canada, including details as specific as whether they took lawn signs during election campaigns, records show. Hang on, so you've got a short list of judges. Presumably they're smart, they're ethical, they're competent, they're respected, I hope. You're putting someone on the Supreme Court, and what you're making your decision based on is if they put up a liberal election sign on their lawn. Ten years ago, did you take a lawn sign? Yes or no? Better be yes, or you're not a good enough Supreme Court justice for this country. Are you serious? That's not just partisan. It's so weird. It's so petty. It's so obsessive. It's like, you know, in Stalinist times when they would clap and make note of who was the first to stop clapping, dear leader. You stop clapping too soon. No judgeship for you. You know what that is? It's the kind of thing someone does if they're so thin-skinned, so needy, so desperate to be in total control, someone with a petty vengeance, exactly the kind of person who would fire Jody Wilson-Raybould for not being loyal enough. But hey, I'm sure she did have a lawn sign being a former liberal candidate. The kind of person who do that is the kind of person who would sneer at desperate activists, desperate for clean water and grassy narrows. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. 
thank you very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate the uh, donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. And, and as we know, the Liberal Party is filled with different perspectives and different opinions, and we respect them all, and our commitment to reconciliation continues to be strong and committed, and we will continue to engage. Thank you, sir, for your donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for being here. That is why we are moving forward on reconciliation in a real and tangible way. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for highlighting how important reconciliation is. Thank you for being here tonight, sir. Thank you very much for your donation to the Liberal Party. A guy who would say thank you for your donation when sneering at a good faith critic is exactly the kind of guy who would appoint a judge based on whether or not they had a Trudeau lawn sign. You know it's him. These two things are related. SNC-Lavalin repeatedly getting sweetheart deals in secret to cover up corruption. This time explicitly making secret donations to the Liberal Party. How many other times have they gotten away with it? And how much did Trudeau himself pocket? We know he knew about this in 2016. Did he know earlier? Was he in on it? And now we know just how obsessed Trudeau and his inner circle are with total loyalty. As measured in what money did you give? Did you make a donation? Did you put up a lawn sign? Yeah, you know what? I have no proof that Justin Trudeau has personally taken bribes from SNC-Lavalin. But given what we know about his character and about SNC-Lavalin's character and how corrupt this liberal government is, I would be shocked if he and his gold-digging wife aren't in for seven figures personally. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, we have done more than 100 stories about Venezuela over the years, first at the Sun News Network, then here at the Rebel News Network. Although it is very far away from Canada, frankly, it's on the other side of the world in South America, I, I find it a, a terrible and terrifying case. One of the wealthiest countries, in fact, about 70 years ago, uh, Venezuela was the fourth richest country in the world, measured by per capita GDP, it was more prosperous even than Canada was. It has the world's largest oil reserves, more even than Saudi Arabia or Canada and our oil sands, and yet it has been thrown into deep poverty by a series of more and more authoritarian socialists. But poverty is the least of it. It's the repression, the destruction of freedoms. It's a terrible sight to behold. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, we had our next guest, down in Venezuela itself, reporting with short video clips from what seemed like a people's movement. Well, today that movement boiled over and joining us now to talk about it is our friend, Annika Rothstein. Great to see you again, Annika. Great to see you. Well, you've been down there so many times and I, and I know it's not a secret. Uh, I know you pu published it already. The last time you were down there, you went down there, you were arrested by Maduro's secret police and literally forced to get on a plane and fly out. They did not like your reporting there. To me, that's a sign you were doing excellent reporting. Well, tell me what the news is in the last 24 hours, because it's not just street protests. Things have taken a turn more violent, haven't they? 
Oh, quite. And, and it's been a dramatic, you know, the past tw 12 hours have, have really shifted the entire situation. You know, I woke up to a text from my contact in Caracas saying there's a coup. And then, you know, he sent me the video of Guaido and, and Leopoldo Lopez, uh, the former leader of the opposition who has been in house arrest for quite some time. Now, Leopoldo Lopez is free. He was freed by his own captors, by the military, he was now flanking Guaido as he was speaking in the street in Caracas. I mean, incredibly dramatic scenes. And of course, this is what, what a lot of people have been waiting for, because Guaido has been saying for weeks and even months that 85% of the Venezuelan army is on his side, but that negotiations were being held in order for them to shift their their alliances. And, and that seems to be happening right now. Yeah. Well, uh, just to recap for our viewers, I'm sure our regular viewers know, Nicolas Maduro is the authoritarian socialist strongman who took over over from Hugo Chavez. He was Hugo Chavez's second in command. In fact, when Chavez went to the United Nations and first met Barack Obama, Maduro was in the background. But if things have gotten worse, Maduro has gotten more and more brutal. Now, Juan Guaido was recognized widely as the legitimate winner of a democratic election, but there was a real standoff. Now, until the last 24 hours, you had Guaido in the streets with protests but you had Maduro still controlling the military. What exactly sparked the change? Do we know? Uh, you used the phrase coup, or you said one of your friends used the phrase. Does that mean some key general finally said, I've had enough with Maduro? What was the domino that caused the others to fall? Well, most think, you know, that there have been negotiations behind the scenes the entire time. And of course, Guaido has perhaps unwisely alluded to this uh, several times because, of course, the military is afraid that should Maduro fall, they would themselves be found in captivity, um, you know, be, be put on trial for the crimes that they committed during the under the the Maduro regime. But Guaido has been negotiating with, with key leaders in the military in order to give them immunity. And we don't know yet if such a if such a deal is in place. But what we do know is that several fractions within the military have already sided with Guaido. And I just a few minutes ago received video of police officers switching side mid-protest in downtown Caracas. So it's not just the military anymore. Wow. And I, I was listening to a speech by uh, Maduro strongman uh, Diosdado earlier today when he said himself that uh, sections of the Savine, the, the uh, Venezuelan intelligence, the much-feared Venezuelan intelligence, had also, as he put it, betrayed mm -hmm. the Maduro government. So it seems to be a trickle that might turn into away. Wow. Well, uh, one of the things we've learned before, including from pro-liberty uh, friends like Joseph Humeyer and others who study Venezuela, is that the regime has been propped up for years by foreign forces, mainly Cubans who are mercenaries. So they don't have a, an affection, a national affection, a personal affection for the people. They're really there as colonizers by Castro, so they don't give a damn about the people. Um, what I understood is that it's those Cubans, it's uh, Iran, it's other money and power and intelligence and even China propping them up. So how could this coup happen when obviously if you're an agent of Castro or an agent of Iran, you're not going to 
care about negotiating with Guaido because your only power comes from being an occupier. Well, like I said, you know, we've known for some time, and according to Guaido, it's it's as high as 85% of the military siding with him. When you have the top 15% of brass that are siding with with the Maduro government, um, so the negotiations have been held with the lower levels, the mid and lower levels of of the military. But of course, this is far from over. Even now, with the military, if 85% of the military switches sides and and goes with you know, uh, the interim president Guaido, that still leaves you with 10,000 paramilitary troops. It leaves you with Cubans, with 200 Russian troops, but many, many more technical personnel that have been flown in from Russia. And of course, then you have the, you know, Iranians by proxy through Hezbollah and perhaps even Colombian paramilitaries. So whatever happens now, it's not the end. It's far from the end. Perhaps it's, it's, it's the beginning of a very, very drawn-out jungle war. We don't know yet. Hmm. I saw images on Twitter of grassroots Venezuelans, uh, Venezuelans storming an Air Force base. Mm -hmm. I think La Carlotta, if I'm remembering what it was mm -hmm. called. And I thought that was very interesting because, of course, that would be a very symbolic place, a symbol of power, and nothing is more terrifying than an Air Force. Um, I, but I understand that forces loyal to Maduro retook it. Am I, I'm just going from uh, strands yeah, on Twitter so and I don't speak Spanish, of course, so I'm relying on you. Is, is that what happened? I mean, can, can you give us any news about the, that Air Force base? Well, what is important to know right now is that I received note uh, about 45 minutes ago that they turned off Twitter. So it's very, very possible that the information that is coming out, or at least has come out in the past hour or two hours, is only pro-regime tweets. Mm. So it's, it's, I think it's very important to have a critical eye looking at it um, because most of my friends and contacts are unable to, to get to Twitter right now and are furiously trying to get there through VPNs. What I do know is that there is military, there are machine guns de deployed, military uh, troops with machine guns in and around Miraflores, the, the presidential palace. Which means, of course, that you know there is no sign whatsoever that Maduro is about to back down, or that the people close to Maduro are about to back down. Right. They are preparing for a standoff, hmm. definitely. And the images that I've seen, I've received video clips through Telegram and WhatsApp all day, and these are incredibly violent scenes with with live fire in the streets, with people. It's very difficult also to distinguish. You know, who is on what side? Because the paramilitaries, of course, they wear jeans and a T-shirt. Opposition fighters, they wear jeans and a T-shirt. It's very, very hard to, to see what's going on because it's, it's all out chaos in the streets right now. Right. We're just looking at incredible footage. We've shown it a couple times now of armored cars literally rolling over citizens. I presume that was forces of Maduro rolling mm -hmm. over Guaido's uh, grassroots army. And we saw Guaido uh, giving a speech flanked by two uniformed uh, military, I presume, who mm -hmm. switched sides. Has Maduro made any public announcement, either in the speech or even via video or even radio, I suppose? Do you know if he said anything? No, the person who has been speaking is Diosdado, the number two. 
uh, the person that many believe is, is uh, you know, he was, as, as I'm sure you know, he was the one everyone thought would take over after Chavez, and, and he's himself a military man, uh, feared and, let's say, respected by many. And he has been giving speeches on and off. Uh, I also got um, got the file of a phone conversation of his today, where he called upon all paramilitary troops to come to Miraflores. Um, and of course, they they listen to him directly. He is is very respected in Chavista circles because he himself is is a fighter. Uh, he's a military. So they are they are ramping up this, and, and of course everyone is asking where is Maduro at this time? Why has he yet to make an announcement? And the honest, you know, answer to that is I just don't know. But as of now, it seems that Diosdado Cabello is the one who's doing the talking, and what he's saying is that we are defending the revolution, we are not giving up. He said that Guaido's military coup has failed already; it is already dead on arrival. Now, I want to ask you one more thing about, uh, we, we showed those armored vehicles rolling over people, it's shocking footage. Mm -hmm. um, we saw something burning at an Air Force base there. At what point does abuses by, do abuses by Maduro and his thugs prick the international conscience? Because there have been votes. Months ago, there were votes. Mm -hmm. Who's on the side of Maduro? Who's on the side of the people? And it was split. I mean, it was most democracies either neutral or for Guaido, but if I'm not mistaken, Russia, China, Iran, other countries like that. And yeah. more to the point, Maduro wasn't moving. If he behaves badly, if he mass, if there was, God forbid, a massacre of 50 people or something like that, caught mm -hmm. on cell phone footage, would that be enough to spark some international momentum? Or does Maduro just not really even care about anything? Well, it I think those are two different issues. I believe that it would take at this point, especially if we speak specifically about an American, possible American intervention, for example, given that I personally believe that the support for that is, is quite low within, you know, among the U.S. public, uh, the fact that Trump is up for election, that he, he ran a non-intervention, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't really matter the, the strong rhetoric that he has had and that several other people as Bolton, Abrams um, have had on Venezuela. That is far from, from actually entering the country. It would take something, and not to be cynical, but it would take a Tiananmen Square situation, I believe. Mm -hmm. For, for the international community to wake up. And, and of course, they have been very effective, the Maduro government, in squashing opposition, in also silencing voices. I mean, I personally was, was deported, of course, and I'm not the only journalist who has been deported by, by the government. Um, and it's very difficult to, to get the story out there. And to, you, what you need is to, to sell this and for people to understand how dire the situation is. And I'm not sure that the international community and the public understands what's actually going on in Venezuela now. Yeah, well, it's uh, very far away for Canadians. I think Americans are geographically closer and there's a uh, mm -hmm. larger Spanish-speaking community, of course, that, that cares there's a lot of uh, exiled Venezuelans in Miami, for example. Um, well. I don't think America will get involved formally, and I don't think uh, uh, Americans, the public would want it, but I have no doubt that behind the scenes, whether it's the CIA or, or private contractors, that there is some American presence on the ground working hard with whatever allies they can. I mean, that's how 
uh, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II worked with Solidarność, with the Solidarity Movement in Gdansk, Poland, to undermine right. the Soviet domination. Um, it wasn't marching troops in with American flags on their uh, uh, epaulets. It was uh, it was on the lowdown. Was with typewriters and photocopying mm -hmm. and things like that. I'm I'm sure that's happening, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw actually Reuters had a very interesting piece today about Blackwater and about mercenaries, the possibility of mercenaries being placed inside of, of Venezuela with the help of, of CIA and others. And of course, uh, with the help of exile Venezuelans, uh, some of them quite influential in the States. I, I definitely think that that's a possibility. And of course, but this is this is also the kind of rhetoric that, that Maduro has been using, and I think it's a very sensitive issue in South America, uh, because even though Venezuelans are desperate for help, they are not of one mind when it comes to American interference in the region. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's a highly, highly sensitive issue. And of course, the rhetoric that, that Maduro has been using, and it's that very rhetoric that, of course, got me deported, is, is this idea that um, it's all about um, imperialist uh, intervention and overtaking. And I think, you know, it is a very, very sensitive issue. Yeah. Well, listen, if you, uh, if I, I look forward to more of your reporting, whether it's from overseas or if you are, are permitted back in the jurisdiction. I know they deported you last time. That's always a good sign. It's great to catch up with you via Skype. Thanks very much for your time today. Thank you so much. All right, that's Annika Rothstein. As you recall, she did videos for us from the streets of Caracas. You can still see those at rebelvenezuela.com. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Justin Trudeau's really bad weekend. Betty writes, if Trudeau can't remember that the person standing right beside him is from Japan, not China, I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah, I suppose when you're a child and, and you're growing up in a white country like Canada, you might not know the difference between someone who's Korean, someone who's Japanese, and someone who's Chinese. Um, but, but then you grow up and you know those are different countries. And, and then maybe you run for parliament and you study a little bit and then you're the prime minister and it's your job and then maybe you read a briefing note and you know they're different countries. They're different countries. You know, we didn't play the clip yesterday, but do you remember when he was answering uh, rapid fire questions from McLean's magazine? And I think the question was, which is your favorite Baltic country? And he didn't have someone there to coach him because the whole thing was, immediate reaction answers and he said there's no such thing he thought it was a trick because he probably thought balkans are a country but baltics are not the different of course is estonia lithuania latvia listen maybe he's not a, a jeopardy buff but you've if you've never heard of the baltic sea you've never heard of it you've never heard of the baltic countries there's three of them i suppose you could call russia a baltic country too You've never heard of it. You're an MP now. You never heard of it. <sighs> yeah. Maybe we should bring Gerald Butts back. Chris writes, Trudeau may very well lose the next election. For Canada's sake, I hope he does. However, it is not due to Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. These are self-inflicted wounds. 
Ain't that the triple truth, Chris? Holy moly, talk about lucky, lucky. Uh, Andrew Scheer did not really win the conservative leadership race. What were there, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 candidates? He was sort of everybody's, well, he's okay. Everyone had a first choice, and then, well, Andrew Scheer, he's okay. And in the ranking method, he was everyone's second choice. I think he won on the 13th round. So he, he crept across the border. He had a bunch of gaffes. He endorsed global warming. He, he did a whole bunch of weird politically correct things. But I suppose half of good luck is showing up and he showed up and he's there when Trudeau stabbed himself to death. I hope, let's knock on wood. I mean, it's, it's still six months to go. Ron writes, I think you overstepped a boundary when you referred to Justin Trudeau's interaction with Rose Knight as a one night stand. That implies a level of willing participation on her part. In my mind, it was clearly a Me Too moment in which she was an unwilling victim. You're absolutely right, Ron. Um, I suppose I was, I was using it too casually as all these people that, that Justin Trudeau has taken advantage of and dropped. But yeah, that wasn't a, a romantic uh, connection. That was a sexual grope. So says the New York Times. And so says Trudeau himself in his sort of apology the next day. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.